well, this is a pretty humble scene. We're used to describing it that way. It's a humble scene, but it's more than that. It's a sovereign scene. God the Father and his sovereign power uses Caesar Augustus and the coercive power of the Roman government to push Joseph and Mary out of Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem. God chose the right time and the right place and the right circumstances for Jesus to be born into. It's God's chosen scene. It's also an impoverished scene. Joseph and Mary are dirt poor. They don't have the money to take such a trip. Joseph can't afford to take two weeks off just for Caesar to count he and Mary. We know they're poor because later when they take baby Jesus to the temple, they can only afford the cheapest allowable sacrifice for their firstborn son. They're just dirt poor. They're impoverished. And most of the people around them are. It's a humble scene, it's a sovereign scene, it's an impoverished scene, but it's a difficult scene. I mean, Mary's about to give birth. Now, is not the time for her to walk 100 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. But the Roman soldiers are there to, to force their migration. The Bible doesn't mention Mary riding a donkey, even though all the animated TV specials that I watched growing up had her riding a donkey. So rather than imagine a donkey, we should reason that she walked. That's a long, painful walk in a pair of crude sandals for a pregnant woman. But it's not a desperate scene. We've all seen the Christmas plays in which the, the cruel innkeeper sends the desperate young couple away because there's, there's no room for them, nor for the poor baby Jesus in the inn. The word translated inn would better be translated Probably guest room. It is the rest of the places it's mentioned in the New Testament. Joseph would have sought out and even been expected by his extended family in Bethlehem, the city of his birth. That's where he's returning to. But the old home place was already full when they arrived. So Joseph and Mary shared a part of the house with other parts of the family and, and some of the family's animals. The older women would likely have helped Mary with the birth. They would have been skilled in midwifery. That's what we would expect at that time and place. But that doesn't take away the poverty from this scene. The angel told Mary in Luke chapter 1, remember this. O favored one, the Lord is with you. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. This is not the birth scene we expect of the Son of the Most High God. What a contrast. It's the contrast that we have to grasp. He will be great, but he certainly wasn't born into greatness. No, he was born into our poverty. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus condescended to take on flesh and become like us, to share in our poverty, to share in our needs, to feel our weaknesses, even to take on our death on the cross for our salvation, so that no one would ever be able to say to the Savior, you, you just don't understand. 
Jesus knows the depths of our weakness. Jesus knows the intensity of our frailty. He knows the loneliness beyond what we could even imagine and the weight of sin, although it was not his own. Jesus knows these things. And it was necessary for the Son of of God to be born like us so that he might die for us. It's a humble scene about a promised king. The angel also told Mary that her son would be a king. He said, The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But the angel is proclaiming what was prophesied earlier in Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This this is the one who dwelled in heavenly glory. This is the one whom angels surrounded with non-stop praise. But when Jesus is born, he's not given a royal robe and placed upon a king's throne. He's wrapped in swaddling cloths to keep him warm and stiff and laid in a lonely manger filled with straw. You wouldn't do that to your baby. He is the king. If he wanted anything... Surely he could call for it and have it. Why does he lie in a feeding trough for animals? Perhaps because he has come to feed those who are spiritually hungry. As he tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. This humble king is the meaning of Christmas. And without him there is no meaning to Christmas. Though he was the Son of God, alive in heaven, he was given birth on earth. And though he was a king, he was placed in a manger. Wrapped in swaddling cloths. Do you know what swaddling cloths were in that time? They've been described this way. The ancients would bind their newborn infants tightly with their arms and legs straight, believing that if they did not, their arms and legs may grow deformed. Ignorance. Jesus was born into our ignorance, our darkness, our sin, so that he might become our means of escape from our spiritual ignorance, darkness, and sin. Bound as a babe, laid in a manger is our king. Bound as a man, nailed to a cross to die is our savior. We, we struggle in our capacity to, to really understand this contrast. They're so distant. The distance between what Jesus had and left to participate in our poverty and make us rich in Him. It's more than we can imagine. What a scene is Jesus' birth. Nearly all the world would miss it. 
the arrival of God's Son and King and Savior would not go totally unproclaimed and unnoticed. God has sent his angelic messengers to proclaim Jesus' birth to the shepherds. Let me read again, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region, around Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We need to notice that this is not a proclamation that reaches everyone in the whole world. Now, by extrapolation, it does eventually, doesn't it? But that's not what's happening right here in this narrative. God sends one particular angel to take one particular message to one particular group of shepherds. A limited number. They heard the Christmas message, and it was a birth announcement, wasn't it? I don't suppose Joseph quickly weighed the baby and measured its length. We expect those kind of details in a birth announcement. But look at what the shepherds hear in this birth announcement. This baby has been born in the city of David, Bethlehem. What a great surprise it must have been that he was born in their own hometown. Their own little, out-of-the-way, nobody-remembers hometown. Every shepherd in Bethlehem, though, knows that God long ago raised up a shepherd from Bethlehem, David, who became a king. They all remember that. And that God has promised to raise up one from King David's line who would also be a king and reign forever. They know that story too. Even shepherds can link the importance of the words city of David, Savior, Christ, which means anointed one sent by God. They're not stupid Probably. I mean, they were the dregs, the humble of society. That they would be the audience is amazing to us, adding to the humility of the scene. But especially when the angel who proclaims is suddenly surrounded by a multitude of angels, an army of angels, a host of angels, the anointed one of God, their king, who will fight for them and save them, has been born. That's a big deal. This announcement sounds of the glory of God. And they're the ones who hear it. But there is also something very strange sounding in this birth announcement. We would expect, as would the shepherds, an announcement that this baby has been born to this mom and this dad. Isn't that what you expect in a birth announcement? The shepherds would expect the angel to say, Today, in the city of David, is born to Joseph and Mary, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. But he doesn't say that. No. The angel says, Today, in the city of David, is born to you, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Those are the glorious words of Christmas. To you. Do you hear them? Do you hear them spoken 
to you? To you who will turn to him. To you who will live to please him. You lowly shepherds upon whom his favor rests. Just as he receives all glory in heaven, you shall receive all peace on earth. Even as a decree has gone out to all of the known world that they shall be counted, taxed, and ruled by Caesar, an even greater announcement has been made that will undo all of that. It's already being undermined and eroded. To you has been born this day a Savior. And a king who's Christ the Lord. These shepherds heard the promise of a Savior to them. And they ran into Bethlehem and found the babe just as it was told to them. And they worshiped God, giving him glory and praise for the gift of his son. You see, this is how you must understand Christmas in order for it to be any Christmas at all. This is the heart of Christmas. Jesus to you. Jesus is God's humble and glorious gift to you. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to you so that you might not perish but have everlasting life. This is how Christmas is transformed from a remembrance of something that happened 2,000 years ago in the past to a celebration of God's glorious gift of a Savior to you in the present. Martin Luther said something like this about Christmas. He said the difference between having Christmas and it passing you lies in the ability to use personal pronouns and to say he's for me. That's what all of us are invited to do this evening, this Christmas. Invited not just by angels but by Christ himself who says, come to me. I'm the light of the world, shining life. Come to me. He who follows me will never walk in darkness again, for I am the light of life to you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the humble and glorious gift of Christ. Thank you that he would humble himself and condescend to earth to take on flesh that he might become like us so that he might die for us. Father, Thank you. We praise you. We glorify you. We desire to worship you well, always, with all that we are. Because Christ is worthy. And you are worthy. And we long to show everyone your worth. Help us to declare this good gospel news so that what has been to us would also be to them. It's our heart's desire. It's your will. We pray that you would bring it about.
In Christ's name, amen.